Justin, are you trolling? This is the Troll Patrol. Why? 
with Justin Freakin. I reserve the right to play that again because I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Watching the planes crash into my logo. Welcome to the Troll Patrol live. It's a freaking 9-11. BB Girl, Warlord, Porg, good evening. Tones, Tones, welcome. Got a fantastic show planned for you guys. A little bit of history, a little bit of news. This show's got everything, I promise you. We're going to check in with some heroes on the day of 9-11. Find out what they're doing here lately. Uh, Rudy Giuliani. We're going to take an interesting look at Rudy Giuliani's poll numbers post 9-11. And where his poll numbers are at now. <laughs> I got, a, I got a, a clip from a member of the Bin Laden family. Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get to cringy 9/11 commercials at the end of the. I'm sorry, Warlord. All the bullshit comes at the end of the stream. The bullshit comes when the Brits have gone to bed. <laughs> I don't. I I explained it like we start with like the heavy stuff and then work our way to the bullshit. I'm not doing it just specifically to like spite you. I don't, I don't mean to. Of course, Biden gave remarks earlier today. <laughs> Still has poll numbers. Um, if you count negative numbers. Flash, good evening, my friend. So glad to see you. I caught up on my content making today. If you guys perhaps have missed any streams over the last week, and you're like, well, where, where are the clips that were, you know, the good shit from those streams? I finally got around to making those clips today. A lot of clips went up on the YouTube. I did not get around to Union Titties. That was the next one I was going to do, was Union Titties. And unfortunately, I just ran out of time. Sorry. <coughs> not, not handling it like a pro am I? I've not I've not smoked all day. I have like a bowl left, maybe. Probably a bowl and some keef. I didn't get into it. I knew I was running low. Um, this, this is like my bowl from last night. Like I smoked half a bowl as I was playing video games. And then, um, at least 25% of my viewers are limey. <laughs> Libertad, good evening. Is that a slur for a British person? <laughs> yeah, fair enough, Flash. I've got, my buddy has been... Uh, he's been like exclusively vape pens for like the last month, uh, because I can't remember what it was. If he just like couldn't get a hold of his dealer or something, he ended up going to uh, one of those shops, and it had the you know it's the THC that's off by like one thing or whatever. It's basically THC, but it's not. 
THCA or whatever the fuck. I remember I got that THCO at that one place I went to. Like, it was pretty good. The first time I smoked, I was like, wow, this is a different, this is like stronger. And then the next time I smoked, I didn't like it as much as the butt I got. So, I don't know. I don't know. What else are we talking about tonight? We got shit to talk about. As I said, it's it's a little bit of 9 and we're not just going to do the one 9-11. We're not just going to do two 9-11s. We're going to do three 9-11s. I've got three different 9-11s we're going to talk about tonight. Addison Cawthorn decided to post today, and uh, he's receiving backlash. I'm going to give you the number, the outlandish fucking number of people who have died in war zones post 9-11. I'm going to show you the Republicans who are all tweeting and sending out statements about 9-11, but who voted against 9-11 families, because of course they did. going to give you uh, Trump's remarks from today. And, and here's a special one. I've got Trump calling in to a TV station on 9-11. On, on like the, the original 9-11. No, not the original 9-11. The, the 2001 9-11. Those who, for those of you who don't know, the original 9-11, probably the coup in Chile. Probably. I don't, there's other... 9-11 is a crazy fucking day. A lot of shit has happened. Uh, there might have been something happened in 9-11-1400 that I don't fucking know about. But the one that's relative, or uh, the one that relates to our politics, the first one... I don't know. There's probably some 9-11 that happened out on the plane somewhere. We genocided a million Indians on 9-11-1852 or some shit. Wouldn't surprise me. I have Allende's last words. That's wild. I cannot wait to get to that. Allende's last words. Where he was cooed in Chile and the U.S. installed Pinochet. The other 9 11 I was referring to, of course, being Benghazi. We're going to take a trip back to uh, 2015. It might be 2016. We're going we're gonna to see the exchange between Rand Paul and Hillary Clinton on the Benghazi hearings. And we're going to follow up on what's going on in Libya today because over 2,000 people are fucking dead. The Middle East being ravaged with natural disasters. Uh, Some things that don't have anything to do with 9-11 that we're going to talk about tonight. The Pennsylvania inmate still on the loose. You know I can't go a show without talking about that. Firearms in Albuquerque have been banned. We may we may get to that. I may I may just cut these and it'll be all 9/11. Everything else is 9/11. I may cut those two stories. Unless you really want to hear about the Pennsylvania inmate. I don't think there's anything really cool just that he's been going through tunnels. Yep. We're going to cut it. I'm a, a executive producer decision right now. We're cutting those two stories. It's all 9/11 related. Even even the animal video and this one is touching. I have a feeling I might cry during this one. So all that and more tonight on the Troll Patrol Live. Welcome. Good evening. Six Simp. So glad to see you guys. 9-11 hijacking my stream. Shelly, good evening. 
I don't I, the Delta Force, Delta Force. I don't even know what it's called. I just know they've got like the. I prefer my Bud. I I like the Bud. So I don't keep up with the different uh, shit that they. I tried the when I was in college. We've been like 2010. All that weird stuff that wasn't weed started like populating places and all the head shops started selling it. I don't don't even remember what was it. Yeah, that salvia salvia kind of shit. This shit was called something else, but like I freaked out on that stuff. Forgot how like doorknobs worked. I was holding, I was holding my my fucking PlayStation controller in my hand, playing a video game. Smoked a bowl of that shit, and then went like, "What am I doing with my life?" And got up and cleaned, cleaned my fuck, put the fucking PlayStation down, cleaned my room. Jordan Peterson would be proud. Up yours, woke moralists. We'll I never want to do that again. Who? I clean when I'm procrastinating on work. K2, that was it. That's the shit. I flipped the fuck out on that shit. I did not like it at all. And look, because that was my first year in college and I didn't really know anybody. I hadn't met anybody yet, and uh, I don't know if I've ever told this story. Uh, the crack whore and I had... Crack whore knew I was going to college. I, Cassandra, like, I, I really should stop being so mean to her, because, like, she was nice. She really was nice. She was talented. She was a talented photographer. <clears throat> I'm, I'm tarnishing her because of the bad experience I had with her. And as I said, like, really put it into perspective after I found out she died and I told my best friend. And he's like, oh, we're sad. Like, we liked her. She was nice to us. I'm like, oh, yeah. I that's It's probably mean that I keep calling her crack whore and stuff. But I did literally watch her, like, pull the piles of carpet back looking for crack. So, that's... We were in, but like, she had her shit together when I met her. She had her shit together. She was on track to be like the fucking district manager of Olin Mills. And the two of us were fucking destructive with each other. So it's not that like she was so bad. We were just toxic together. And that was the height of my drug issues. But anyway, I I broke up with her. She knew I was going to college, but she didn't know that I got an apartment on campus. And they gave me like an apartment. In, like I was 26 or 27, something like that at the time. They gave me an apartment in like the grad student housing. And family housing and shit. So like nobody fucked with me or anything. I loved it up there. I, I lived there all four years, five years. Well, they're five years. I went to school five years. Um, but that's how, like, I got away from her. Was that she just, she didn't know that just one day she came home from work and I wasn't there. And then I started school the next week. Uh, but I ended up, like, still, we, we couldn't quit her. 
I ended up going back to her a couple of different times. I remember like one of the first days I was in class, uh, she she had me like snort some Suboxone or some shit. I'd never done it before, and I threw the fuck up. I threw the fuck up at school. Shit is nasty. Anyway, anyway. So I, sh- I should not be so mean to her. She had a lot of redeeming qualities. My disdain just comes from, you know, toxic relationship, bad breakup. Here's your meme of the day. Getting ready for a long day. Letting people know you don't find 9-11 jokes funny. Or if that's not a good one, if that wasn't a good one for you, here's uh That's not going to be good for business. The bottom panel, of course, says that's not going to be good for anybody. Because that's the line from Seinfeld. What they didn't know was that it was absolutely good for business. It was philosophy class, Libertad. Because, like, I remember it vividly. Because that was the first class I ever took the second time I went to college. It was, it was intro to philosophy, or philosophy is a conversation. And that professor was it definitely wasn't like the first week I was going in there on a suboxone, but like a month in, two months in, he took me outside of the class or kept me after class or whatever. It was like, hey, have you ever thought about being a philosophy major? Because you're really good at this shit. You're good at arguing bullshit. My astronomy class, because I did, I did take astronomy. I walked in the very first day. The professor was like, I'm Dr. Ignis and I'm a Christian. I was like, well, I'm dropping this class. But no, he was excellent. Fantastic professor. He was, he was not a fundamentalist Christian, obviously. Fantastic professor. Loved him so much. I took him for uh, astronomy too. Maybe I don't if he taught astronomy too or whatever like whatever my elective was in the in the science department. Maybe I don't I don't know. My microphone loud enough? Does the mix sound off? It doesn't look right. Looks like it should be slightly higher. About two decimals maybe. Oh wow. Your philosophy professor got fired. Message me. We went. We went to the same institution. I want to know who who it was. I'm I'm interested now because I'm like I did indeed. I didn't change to a philosophy major. I added a philosophy major. Uh, Ignis was not redheaded. I don't remember red. I didn't. I didn't spend any time. Like, I remember the names of two buildings from my college, and the reason why is because I spent all my time in those two buildings. The one was the humanities that had philosophy and history, and then the other one was the broadcasting department. And that's like I lived in those two buildings. After like my sophomore year, I don't even think I took a class. In anything but those two buildings. Well, no, I took some. I took some. Um... <laughs> Libertad, you were you here for that conversation? No, he did he say did he say six K or did 
Because usually you hear like 20... I can't even remember what the fuck... It's been so long since I've argued with dumb fuck Christians. But like, it, like he said like 12K or something. Didn't he? Like, he threw a number out I hadn't heard before. 6K is the Young Earth Creationist estimate, really? And they're the ones that went back and added up all the, the genealogy. Which I want to know, like... So according to the Bible, a couple people were like 600 years old. Another one was like 900 years old. So how do you do that math exactly? When did people stop living to be not... Which everyone realizes that when you're not keeping records and shit and you see some fucking... Remember the dude we saw Joe Biden with? (laughs) Can you imagine living in a prehistoric time? And you see somebody like this fuck. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Like Joe Biden is old. But then like next to the, the, this dude, Taylor. Like if, if somebody told you, uh, Joe Biden is 200 and then, uh, Taylor there is 800 and you ain't got no records. You'd believe it. Wouldn't you? I'd believe that dude is 800 fucking years old. And that, my friends, is how mythology gets started. <laughs> oh, God. I actually have a, I have a, uh, a short film. That's Nosferatu. I have a short film called On the Origin of Myths. It's on my YouTube. It won, it won an award at a comedy festival. And uh, I, you guys should watch that. Go watch. It's only like three minutes long. It's, it's very short. But it's, it's about on the origin of myths. And the, and the great, the thing I love about that movie is that I cut it the first time and showed it to people and they all told me it sucked. And I recut it and then everybody loved it. So that's, Ooh, simp even threw it out in the, uh, out in the discord. Oh yeah. Appreciate you simp. I recut it, then everybody liked it, so. Proud of myself. I took constructive feedback. You put it in the troll chat. Stone's over in the, uh, the show chat. Probably because of the delay. All right, all right. We're 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 20 minutes into this. I promise to always get the show started and stop with the rambling by 20 minutes in. I will keep to that. You know, unless I've got a, you know, a really fun story I got to tell. Joe Biden. I don't even know where he was today. I'm sorry, I didn't look that up. That might make a, a difference. It doesn't even say. The Washington Post doesn't even tell me where he's at. It looks like it's an Air Force base. United States and our Commander-in-Chief, President Joe Biden. (laughs) 
Thank you, Chief Master Sergeant Miller, for that introduction and for your service to our nation. Governor Dunleavy. I hate doing this. I hate interrupting from the actual substance of what's going on. But why did he walk up to a podium with two microphones and then just pull another microphone out from just out of nowhere? What? What? Come on, man. That's the presidential podium. It's good to see you. Governor and I have something in common. We're both from Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I wish I had him playing in my high school ball club that I was playing. But I would have, could have been an All-American having you in front of me. No, Representative Mary, Mary thank you for, uh, for speaking. And, and the Mayor David Bronson. I had to guess he wanted to walk around, but you, you might be right, Tones. I, I, I get better coverage. All you do. And Adjutant General Sachs and the tribal leaders and stewards of these sacred lands. General Sachs. All service members and families at Joint Base Elmendorf Richardson and distinguished guests. I join you on this solemn day to renew our sacred vow. Never forget. Never forget. We never forget. Each of us, each of those precious lives stolen too soon. Fair enough, Snicks. Fair enough. Ground Zero in New York. And I remember standing there the next day and looking at the building. I felt like I was looking through the gates of hell. It looked so devastating because the way you could, from where you could stand. Shanksville, Pennsylvania. I don't remember Joe Biden being in New York the next day. Joe Biden would have either been in Pennsylvania or Washington, D.C. He didn't fly to New York. His flights didn't start until the next afternoon. He might have took the train. Why would you go to New York after a terrorist attack? See, he's telling the fib. It's Joe, so you never know. The Pentagon in Virginia. I spent many 9-11s in those hollowed grounds to bear witness and remember those we lost. Every day, but especially the last few days, their memory has been with me. I'm just returning from the G summit, the G20 summit in India, where we strengthen America's leadership on the global stage. Right-wing media is running with it, like Biden falsely claims he visited 9/11 the day after. But like I, he might have. It's possible. Uh. Uh, the National Review, which is not a reliable source, says that he was actually in the Senate chamber the next day, and I, I believe that. On September 12, 2001, Biden was in the Senate chamber, which was holding a session to consider a resolution condemning the attacks. This is according to C-SPAN records. They unanimously voted in favor of the resolution, 100 to 0. Biden even delivered a speech to his colleagues. We don't have a record of the speech. Days later, 98 senators, including uh, Biden, voted in favor of authorizing a resolution to approve uh, all necessary and appropriate force. Uh, The first evidence we have is apparently a week after. But once again, this is the National Review. They're not a reliable source. But I'm I'm apt to say he's lying that he was there the next day. Kind of trivial. So this is a fucking eighty year old man 
he was there a week later, and he said he was there the day after. But uh, that just like come on, man. Because yeah, I would believe that he was in Washington, and that it would even be difficult to get to New York the next day. Followed by a historic trip to Vietnam where we transformed our partnership in one of the most critical regions in the world. These trips are a central part of how we're going to ensure the United States is flanked by the broadest array of allies and partners who will stand with us and deter any threat to our security. To build a world that is safer for all of our children, something that today of all days we're reminded of is not a given. Because through this military base is located on ground zero, isn't, we know the distance did not dull or diminish the pain we felt all across the nation of September 11th. Did he say military base at ground zero? 22 years ago from this base, we're scrambled and high alert to escort planes through. The oh, the base was ground zero for our military. I was getting ready to look up. Did we build a base at ground zero? There's a monument there. It's the monuments on my graphics for tonight. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm picking apart a Biden speech, and I should probably never do. This is like Trump as well. I should probably never pick apart a Biden or a Trump speech because what's the fucking use? The stranded passengers. American flags sold out in every store and were placed in front of seemingly every home. We know that on this day, every American's heart was wounded. Yet... Every big city, small town, suburb, rural town, tribal community, American hands went up, ready to help where they could, ready to serve like so many of you here, ready like Chief Master Sergeant Shady Taylor here with us today, who had recently started college when Flight 93 went down. Shady Trailer? She said, and I quote, I immediately knew I wanted to sign up and suit up to serve my country. Ready like General, excuse me, General Eifler, who said on that day, when our nation calls, we must be ready. It called and we went without hesitation. My fellow Americans, September 11th, 2001, tested our strength, our resolve and our courage. Taylor would make more sense, but Shady Trailer is more fun. Sky that September day. The shredded steel and concrete slabs that rained down from the World Trade Center. The yeah, Sim, I, I wanted to bring this up, okay? So they always evoke, like, the the sentiment of America after 9-11. And for those of you that may be too young to remember this, it's true. The country really did come together. We had a moment where had we had a different leader than George W. Bush, we might have really done something amazing with with the the will that we had instead bush used all that political i hate to call it political capital but that's kind of what it is there was a there was a strong sense of you know unity and and wanting to accomplish big things the bush administration just channeled that into going to iraq uh, to invade it for oil. <laughs> it's, it's fucked up.
Terry trailer and Trevor trailer. Okay. Plume of fire that shot up in the sky in Pentagon. I remember seeing as I got off the Amtrak train on my way to work in the United States Senate. The pit and through the earth in Shanksville, a testament to the unbreakable courage and resolve of the American people. But we'll DJ Dub, no, I've got a I've got a spectacular uh, show devoted to all the 9-11s tonight. But yeah, yeah, well, I'm getting you the current and some of the retrospective. We're, we're going to go back in time several times tonight. Never forget that when faced with evil and an enemy who sought to tear us apart, we endured. We endured. But while every year we mark this hallowed day, it's never easy. To anyone here or anyone across the country who's grieving the lost child, parent, spouse, sibling, friend, or co-worker, to all those who still bear the wounds from the Syrian September morning, I know how hard it is on a day like this. How can we reopen that wound? It's like opening a black hole in your chest, sucking you into it again. Wound, not moon. When you saw the news, the moment you got that phone call, the moment you realized you'd never say again, see you later, mom. Or talk to you. Oh my God, dude. I wish you weren't running. I know it's inevitable. I know, I know you're, you're going to be the fucking nominee. Oh my God. Why didn't you just step aside? You're not prepared. You're not prepared for the moment. Go. Why didn't you go enjoy your life? Soon, son. Think of everything your loved one might have done. If they had a little more time, what would they have done? And though that can leave you so hollow, it also makes you full at the same time. On this day, I'm thinking about a friend of mine named Davis, who grew up with me in Delaware. 22 years ago, he and his family had just passed the first year without their youngest son of three sons, who died in a boating accident at age 15. His oldest son, Davis Jr., was just six days into a new job on the 104th floor Sammy? of the South Tower of the World Trade Center. Davis went straight to ground zero to search for his son, searched deep into the last, as he referred to it, endings of hope, as he put it. A few days later, I called David to talk his father's know about losing a piece of your soul. I was on my way to speak to students at the University of Delaware to try to make sense of what happened. And guess what? Having lost two sons within a year, Davis told me, just tell them, Joe, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The terrorists stole 297, 2,977 souls that day. 2,977 souls. Wait till you hear the number of people we killed after. But those terrorists could not touch what no force, no enemy, no day ever could and that is the soul of america what's the soul of america it's the breath the life the essence of who we are the soul is what makes us us the soul of america is based on a sacred proposition that we're all created equal endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights clinically good evening liberty the pursuit of happiness we haven't always lived up to it but we've never walked away from that proposition either the soul of America is the fortitude we found in the fear of that terrible September day. 
The purpose we found in our pain, the light we found in our darkest hour, an hour when terrorists believed they could bring us to our Richard. knees, bend our will, break our resolve. But they were wrong. They were dead wrong. In the crucible of 9-11 and the days and months that followed, we saw the stuff America was made of. Firefighters and police officers and other first responders running into an inferno of jet fuel, debris at ground zero, breathing in toxins and ash that would damage their own health. He said jet fuel. Using a stop for months. Civilians attempted to make the, the joke. Rushing into the fiery breach again and again and again to rescue their colleagues in the Pentagon. The Patriot passengers on Flight 93. Think of this. Who did not Jeb fuel these crash. But they confronted the unimaginable fear and terror with absolute courage. Fear and terror is that the sequel to Fear and Loathing? My Angelou wrote history in Las Vegas. Despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived. But if we face the Rum Diaries is the sequel to Fear and Loathing. My mother had it put it a different way. My mother was a five foot two little Irish lady who had a backbone like a ramrod. She used to say, and I mean this sincerely, courage lies in every heart. Fuck Paul Brimmer. Fuck Paul Rulfowitz. Was it Paul Brimmer? Was that his name? It was summoned at 9.57 a.m. It was summoned and 40 incredible women and men in Shanksville answered the call. Are you talking about Biden clinically? Because, like, trying to decipher what the fuck he means, I, you, you weren't here for the beginning of it, and I can't. Uh, he said he was on, on ground zero the next day. He wasn't, we don't think. Seems like he was in the Senate the next day. Seems like he was at ground zero like a week later. And then from there, it's like it's been hard. It has been hard to decipher what, he, what the fuck he's talking about. We'll give him another couple minutes. Billions, they gave their lives. And Get fired up, though. gave life to our, their country. We saw that courage at ground zero in the Pentagon. And we saw it in so many other ways. These are our heroes, like the faith community leaders all across the country who pushed back against the fear and hate they saw directed at Muslim Americans. What? No, 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 no. I lived through that. No. Who? Who, who, who pushed back? What? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, Anti-Muslim sentiment was rampant in this country. And there were, there were like examples of like sheiks and shit that were being uh, discriminated against. A sheik is not a Muslim, by the way. Uh, you guys probably know that. Uh, but the average person probably doesn't know like what a, what a sheik is, right? If I say sheik. I'm not saying it. What's the, what's the dudes with the knives? Or is it chic? Like a Sikh? Yeah, a Sikh. Yes, thank you. Ah, yes, that's what I was talking about. Like we had like multiple examples of like them being imprisoned and uh, questioned and shit. I think the fucking FBI uh, infiltrated one of their gatherings. Like they're like one of the most peaceful sects of religious people that have ever existed. Maybe the Zoroastrians. Give them a run for their money. Yeah, the TSA. I've not flown post 9-11, so I can't really compare it. But from what I've heard, flying pre-9-11, 
whole different thing. Holy, we didn't have to get to the airport like two hours beforehand and have your like nuts fondled. Speaking of which, apparently Matt Riddle might be fired from the WWE because somebody in New York, I think it was a Grand Central Station, fondled his nuts. We'll do that story tomorrow. I'm way off topic now. Heroes like all of you, the brave women and men of the armed forces who never faltered, you never failed, to defend our nation, our people, and our values. But you can't hang out at the airport just for fun now. Heroes like the 9-11 generation. Hundreds of thousands of brave Americans were deployed to Afghanistan to make sure the United States would not be attacked again. Who served in Iraq, like many of you probably did, in war zones around the world, risking their own safety and the safety of their fellow citizens, for the safety of their fellow citizens who served and sacrificed again and again to defend our democracy and deny terrorists a safe haven, who followed Osama... That's not what they did. ...to the end of the earth and ultimately sent him to the gates of hell 12 years ago. And then last year, I made the decision to take out Zawahiri, the number two who met the same fate. And today, our intelligence community has recently assessed in a declassified memo that al-Qaeda threat from Afghanistan and Pakistan has reached a historic low. So all this has changed over the last 22 years. The resolve of the American I mean, they were in Pakistan. We never bow. We never bend. We never yield. Where bin Laden was assassinated was in Pakistan, not Afghanistan. On the United States and our people and allies will never, never rest. Never. Terrorism including political and ideological violence, is the opposite of all we stand for as a nation that settles our difference peacefully under a rule of law. We're going to continue. That's kind of not true. We're kind of a country founded on on violence. <laughs> this speech is unhinged. But also, like, it's, a, it's all over the place, and it's, like, really not accurate to track terrorist threat in all forms wherever it may be we're going to continue to disrupt terrorist activity wherever we may find also i don't know how much of this is a prepared speech to defend the american people kind of seems like he's talking off the cuff now forget our sacred duty to those of you who serve never before in our history never before in our history has america asked so much for so many over such a sustained period for all volunteer force. You make up 1% of the population. You're the strength, the venue, the, you're the backbone. You're the sinew of America. As a nation, we have many obligations. But I've been saying for 30 years, we only have one truly sacred obligation. To prepare those we send into harm's way and care for them and their families when they return home and when they do not return home. It's an obligation, not based on party or politics, but on a promise that unites all Americans. And together over the last two and a half years, I had to check my watch there. I worked to make good on that promise, signing more than 25 bipartisan laws to support our service members and veterans and their families and caregivers and survivors. We will not stop. We owe you. We owe you big, and it matters. Across the country, many Americans heard our nation's call in the days right after 9-11. And there were those who were just children 
Not even born. There are people that weren't even born that are serving or were serving in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yet when this happened. But when their time came to choose to serve, not because they saw something, but because they felt something like many of you did. And so many of them have come back and they are jaded, jaded by what they saw, completely reversed uh, their positions on military action. I know this because like, I got a couple of friends. <laughs> it changed them for the better being in the military because they see what bullshit the military is. million deaths and counting. 4.5 million deaths and counting in post 9-11 war zones. This is as of May of 2023. 4.5 million people died in post 9-11 war zones, a number that continues to grow after more than two decades, according to a new report from Brown University vast majority of those deaths in the range of 3.6 to 3.7 million can be accredited to indirect deaths or non-combat deaths. Researchers with the University of Costa War Project concluded, despite the staggering tally, those numbers are likely a significant undercount. This is according to the report, which is titled How Death Outlives War. In a place like Afghanistan, the pressing question is whether any death can today be considered unrelated to war. Ultimately, the impacts of the ongoing violence are so vast and complex, they are unquantifiable. Across wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, and uh, Libya, children, particularly those under five years old, are the most vulnerable to indirect deaths, typically from malnutrition and disease. In Afghanistan alone, nearly half of the population, 18.9 million people, were acutely food insecure in 2022, including 3.9 million children who were wasting. 1 million Afghan children are at risk of death. Since the beginning of the war, an estimated 85,000 children under five may have died due to starvation in Yemen. War there began in 2014 with U.S. involvement first publicly acknowledged in March of 2015. Loss of access to food and safe water was often the result of deliberate actions by warring factions, including the killings of civilian breadwinners and attacks on farms and livestock. In at least 21 incidents, U.S. drones or ground raids killed Yemeni civilians, many of them primary breadwinners. There have been 237 U.S. strikes in Somalia since 2003. U.S. sanctions have also led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people in Somalia, including 133,000 children under five in just 18 months between 2010 and 2012. And these are the wars brought to you by the pro-life party, by the way, where every, every life is precious.
I mean, you guys know hypocrisy knows no bounds in the Republican Party. And I can highlight many hypocrites here tonight. Republicans who voted against 9-11 victims' families are posting memorial tweets today because of course they are. Lauren Boebert. Last year, 30... And we're reading from uh, uh, the Midas Touch. Last year, 30 Republicans voted against the Fairness for 9-11 Families Act that provided compensation and relief to the victims of 9-11 and their surviving family members, including widows and dependent children. The 30 House Republicans who voted against the families of 9-11 victims in September of 2022 are posting 9-11 memorial tweets today. Many of them are still serving in Congress this term. However, some lost their re-election bids and decided not to run or decided not to run. Here's a full list of the 30 Republicans who voted against the 9-11 victims' families and their 9-11 memorial tweets discovered where applicable at the time of the article's publication. Andy Biggs of Arizona, Jody Arrington of Texas, uh, Dan Bishop of North Carolina, Lauren Boebert of Colorado, Mo Brooks of Alabama, surprise, surprise, not in Congress anymore, Ken Buck of Colorado, uh, Tim Burchett of Tennessee, Michael Cloud of Texas, Andrew Clyde of Georgia, James Comer of Kentucky, Representative Dan Crenshaw. Well, 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 another reason that I would give anything in the world to piss in Dan Crenshaw's open eye hole. Give me that eye pussy, you hypocritical piece of shit. We will never forget the lives lost and the families they leave behind. His tweet specifically mentions the families that he voted against. Fuck you, Dan. Fuck you. Warren Davidson of Ohio. Louis Gomert of Texas. Mark Green of Tennessee. Glenn Grotham of Wisconsin. Andy Harris of Maryland. Diana Harshberger of Tennessee, Jody Heiss of Georgia, Blaine Luchtkemeyer, Luchtkemeyer of Missouri, Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Greg Murphy of North Carolina, Troy Nels of Texas, Ralph Norman of South Carolina, Bill Posey of Florida, Tom Rice of South Carolina, John Rose of Tennessee, Chip Roy of Texas, Van Taylor of Texas, Michael Turner of Ohio, Daniel Webster of Florida. Those are the 30 Republicans who voted against against the 9-11 Families Act. Those were the 30 Republicans who voted against it. And then the ones with tweets are the ones that honored the victims today. Just like it's the same thing, uh, fucking as like they voted against the Build Back Better Act, and now that projects are happening in their districts, they're taking credit for it. It's disgusting. And the shitty part about politics is that right wing voters are so goddamn ill informed. The information is there, but if you rely solely on cable news 
or propagandists on YouTube, you ain't going to know the facts of what's going on. And that's how you have fucking Trump supporters. Former President Donald Trump gave his remarks earlier today. They're only a minute and 45 seconds long, so he can't do too much damage. I wonder how many takes I had to do to get this. Donald Trump, everybody. No one who lived through the horror of the September 11th terrorist attacks. Horror. 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 Can ever forget the agony and the anguish of that terrible day. It was a terrible day. The images of dark plumes of smoke billowing over lower Manhattan, the Pentagon, and a field of Pennsylvania, such a beautiful field, are seared into our minds forever. We will never forget. Today, on this solemn anniversary of those monstrous attacks, we remember the 2,977 precious souls who were savagely taken from us on that morning 22 years ago leaving a void that can never be filled, can never be filled. No matter what happens, it can never be filled. We will say a prayer for each of the beautiful families they left behind, whose pain is beyond comprehension. What they've gone through is not even believable. We honor the firefighters, the great New York PD, the police department, what great people they are. They are so great. And the Port Authority officers, the Virginia, D.C., and Pentagon police, and the military service members, and other first responders, actually all over the country. They acted with supreme heroism, and they went to the site of the most heinous crime. They would leave other states far away and go to the World Trade Center site, the Pentagon. They'd go to Pennsylvania, who in many cases gave their lives in the line of duty. God bless the memory of all of those who perished in the 9-11 attacks, we will never, ever forget. We will never forget you. We love you. God bless their families, and God bless America. Thank you. Then brings up the him bragging about having the tallest building. I don't think that's this interview that we're getting ready to watch. That was on Howard Stern, right? Am I misremembering that? It might be in this interview. So this is Trump calling up uh, to WWOR. WWOR on 9-11. This is Trump, contemporary, on 9-11, 2001. We are having some technical difficulties, which is totally understandable when you try to do you know, ad hoc reporting and getting information to you as fast as we possibly can and making sure that it's accurate at the same time. So Donald Trump is on the line. I mean, we know him as the man behind lots of... Make sure you get it accurate, and then the next sentence is Donald Trump's on the line. Holy shit, we're off to a bad start. Real estate in Manhattan, and of course, uh, Donald, I understand you were actually a witness to what happened this morning. Well, I have a window that looks directly at the World Trade Center, and I saw this huge explosion. I was with a group of people, and I, I, I really couldn't even believe it. And even, I think, worse than that, for years, I've looked right directly at the building. I'd see the Empire State Building in the foreground and the World Trade Center in the background. And now I'm looking at absolutely nothing. It's just gone. And it's just hard to believe. 
Donald Allen Marcus here. Uh, your building is, uh, the Trump Tower, is uh, one of the uh, great tourist attractions uh, in the world. It's Maybe it is this interview. Universally. Are you taking any uh, precautions there in light of what happened at the World Trade Center? Well, Alan, we've always had, as you know, very, very strong security, but there's very little you can do about planes crashing into a building. I mean, you look at Larry Silverstein, who's a terrific owner in New York and a very good friend of mine who I just called. I was very worried about him because I assume maybe he was in the building. He took possession of the building one week ago. As you know, he just bought the World Trade Center. Right. And uh, he was in his office, and he was getting ready to move into the World Trade Center over the next two weeks. So when I just spoke to him, there's nothing you can do when people are going to be bombing planes at your building. Now, well, I guess maybe the world is going to be changing, and maybe you're going to have F-16s flying all over the city, etc. But it's a pretty tough situation all over the Middle East one of the landmark buildings down in the financial district 40 Wall Street uh, did you have any damage or did you know what, what's happened down there well it was an amazing phone call I made 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan and, and it was actually before the World Trade Center was the tallest and then when they built the World Trade Center it became known as the second tallest and now it's the tallest and I just spoke to my people and they said it's the most unbelievable site it's probably seven or eight blocks away from the World Trade Center, and yet Wall Street is littered with two feet of stone and brick and mortar and steel. And there are thousands of people walking over the, the debris over the Brooklyn Bridge, where they're sending them out over the Brooklyn Bridge to Brooklyn, and then I guess they're going to have to figure out how to get home from there. But they have between a foot and two feet of debris uh, right in front of a building that's probably, you would say, Alan, six or seven blocks away. Donald, this is Roland Smith. Uh, hi, Roland. You know, hi, how you doing on this kind of day? You know, at some point, we're going to put all this behind us. And you as a visionary, particularly in, in New York real estate, what do you think that we ought to do as a city, as a people? Uh, when a visionary! When morning stops, when, when the dead are, are honored, and, uh, and we've found out what caused it and maybe corrected it. What does the city need to do? Well, I guess the big thing that, that you really will have to do is never forget. You just can't forget <laughs> that something like this happened. I was so disappointed when they closed the stock exchange, but of course, at some point, you had no choice. You know, when they initially announced it was closing, because you want to just say, the hell with it, you're going forward, nothing's going to change. But the fact is, something has changed very dramatically. And I think one of the very sad things is going to be when you look at the skyline of New York, which has become so emblazoned in your own memory, and you look in, at the skyline of New York and you see these buildings, these two buildings, whether you love them or don't love them, they were a great part of the skyline. And then when you, you love them or you don't love them. 2001, and you're going to see a skyline without these two buildings, you're going to say, what happened? People won't believe it. You know, when you show your children or your grandchildren in years to come what New York looked like in the year 2000, and then what New York looked like just a year later, they're going to say, what happened? Hey, Donald, it, uh, in, the year in, in the year 2000, Donald... In the year 2000... If, if, if you had done that and if you had been successful, what do you think... Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you guys hear that? I was doing the Conan O'Brien joke. And are your grandchildren in years to come what New York looked like in the year 2000, and then what New York looked like just a year later... They're going to say, what happened? Hey, Donald, in the year 2000, Donald, you considered running for president. If, if, if you had done that and if you had been successful, what do you think uh, you'd be doing right now? 
Well, I'd be taking a very, very tough line, Alan. I mean, uh, you know, most people feel they know uh, uh, at least approximately the group of people that did this. Everybody remembers what the actual president was doing on 9-11, right? This was his reading of My Pet Goat. That That is the look of a man who's like, holy shit, I am in over my head. And I mean, fucking anybody would feel like they're in over their head. It's not. It's not just a knock on George W. Bush, but he was. He was certainly in over his head. Where they are, but um, boy, would you have to take a hard line on this? This just can't be tolerated, and it's got to be very, very stern. This is as you and I were discussing before, Alan. This was probably worse than Pearl Harbor. Many more people are dead, and and you know they don't know. They have no idea, but. Uh, I have somebody that was down there who witnessed at least 10 people jumping out of the building from 70 and 80 stories up in the air. What else did you witness that day, Donald? 25 or 30,000 is the number I've heard, but I would think would be much more than that. I think the most of the damage will be caused not by even in the building in terms of the people dead, but by the people on the streets from falling debris. Donald, you're probably the best known builder, uh, particularly of, of, of great buildings in the city. There's a great deal of question about whether or not the damage and, and the ultimate destruction of the buildings was caused by the airplanes, by architectural defect, or possibly by bombs or, or aftershocks. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it was an architectural Well, jet fuel can't melt steel beams. It's always known as a very, very strong building. Don't forget, that took a big bomb in the basement. Now, the basement is the most vulnerable place because that's your foundation. And it withstood that. And I got to see that area about three or four days after it took place because one of my structural engineers actually took me for a tour because he did the building. And I said, I can't believe it. The building was standing solid and half of the columns were blown out. I mean, so this was an unbelievably powerful building. Uh, If you know anything about structure, it was one of the first buildings that was built from the outside. The steel, the reason the World Trade Center had such narrow windows is that in between all the windows, you had the steel on the outside. So you had the steel on the outside of the building. That's why when I first looked, and you had big, heavy I-beams. When I first looked at it, I couldn't believe it because there was a hole in the steel. And this is steel that was, you remember the, the width of the windows in the World Trade Center, folks. I think, you, you know, if you were ever up there, they were quite narrow. And in between was this heavy steel. I said, how could a plane, even a plane, even a 767 or 747 or whatever it might have been, how could it possibly go through the steel? I happen to think that they had not only a plane, but they had bombs that exploded almost simultaneously, because I just can't imagine anything being able to go through that wall. The planes, like, did get lodged into the building. What actually brought the buildings down and caused them to collapse was the burning. It went on all day. They were built to withstand a plane hitting them. The... Burning of the plane and the debris all day caused the structural collapse of the floors above, which then had a pancake effect. Boom, 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 boom. So it's not just like people say that it fell free fall. That's not true. It did not fall free fall. You can, if you watch the video, you don't watch any edited video and everything. You can actually see it getting resistance as each floor falls. And it's the weight of the floors coming down. So it did what it was supposed to do. It stayed standing. So any of the conspiracy theories surrounding the construction of the the World Trade Center, uh, that's that's just 
bunk. It just, it did what it was meant to do. It stayed standing, but it couldn't withstand. The dude, if you guys have ever seen it here, let me get the, let me get the video up. I, perfect video of, um, I mean, this dude just takes fucking, yeah, 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 here we go. I'm glad this was the first thing that popped up because this is, this is the video. This explains it so perfect, so succinct. So I am taking time out of my busy day to try to put to rest one of the more moronic things I have seen on the internet lately, and that's saying something. Through my Facebook feed, I saw yet again that old, tired argument of that question. Jet fuel only burns at 1,500 degrees, and since steel melts at 2,700 degrees, 9-11 was a conspiracy. I am so sick and tired of this argument. Now, I am not going to make any claims to what did or did not happen. If it was a conspiracy, I do not care. What I am upset about is the retarded metallurgical things that you guys are saying. I'm not arguing the facts. Jet fuel does, in fact, burn at 1,500 degrees, Steel will start melting some carbon steels at 2,300 degrees. But if you hold this up as a reason for conspiracy, you are an idiot. This is a piece of half-inch thick steel, A36, structural steel, designed for structures. This is a 250-pound anvil. I'm going to put this steel in the back of this anvil, and I'm going to lift this 250-pound anvil with this bar of steel. See how the structural steel is supporting this anvil. Okay, there. Now, in my furnace, I have an identical piece of half-inch bar of steel, just like this, and it's going to be around 1,800 degrees, just 300 more than jet fuel, when it comes out. And I want you to see something very interesting. Going to the forge. It's very hot, but not melted. Obviously, it is not melted. I put this in the anvil. Now watch this. I'm gonna take my pinky finger, my pinky finger, half-inch solid steel. Check it out. It's a freaking noodle. Your argument is invalid. Get over it. Find a job. Love that dude. Uh. Purgatory Ironworks. Yeah, there were... Uh, Rudy Giuliani had actually moved... Wasn't there like a... They moved the command center for the NYPD into... Or a command center into the World Trade Center. And they ended up having um, uh, like diesel fuel stored in the basement. And that could also have, have uh, contributed to the collapse. Most buildings are built with the steelers on the inside around the elevator shaft. This one was built from the outside, which is the strongest structure you can have. And it was almost just like a, uh, like a can of soup. You know, Donald, we were looking at pictures all morning long of that plane coming into uh, building number two. And when you see that uh, approach the, the far side, and then all of a sudden, Within a matter of a millisecond, the explosion pops out the other side. Right. I just think that there was a plane with more than just fuel. I think 
No. Obviously, they were very big planes. They were going very rapidly because... What do you expect? <laughs> ...where the plane seemed to be... What would you expect a plane to look like crashing into a building? Like, what? That it wouldn't explode out the other... There wouldn't be some sort of discharge out the other side? That wouldn't make any sense. And of course, it's fire. It's a plane hitting a goddamn building. He's not only going fast, it seemed to be coming down into the building. So it was getting the speed from going downhill, so to speak. Uh, it just seemed to me that... To it's do like that, it went straight into it to me. It's even more than a big plane, because you're talking about taking out steel, the heaviest caliber steel that was used on a building. I mean, these buildings were rock solid. And, uh, you know, it's just an amazing, it's an amazing thing. It's This country is different today and and it's going to be different than it ever was for many years to come very profound statement and <laughs> profound question for you do the do these fuckers know what the word profound means given the the, the magnitude of, of 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 how much of american commerce took place within the twin towers what do you as you're, you're an expert on this what do you think is going to be the fallout over the next many several weeks months and even years given what we have lost uh in terms of those buildings going down and, and all that was within it well I, I as an example alan and you might use them too but i have an insurance company that was on the 102nd floor of the world trade center they're gone i don't know who's gone i don't know anything other than their offices are no longer there they're wiped out this uh, motherfucker might have lost employees holy what this motherfucker might have lost employees, and that's the last thing he mentions in the interview. Wow. That should tell you everything you need to know about Donald Trump. Morgan Stanley, a big, powerful firm, they had 50 stories in the building. Gone. I mean, you're talking about some firms that are just gone. Now, Morgan Stanley, in that case, had a lot of its offices in Midtown, and they had about half downtown. Morgan Stanley's a big, powerful firm. They're gone. Many firms had all of their offices, as you know, in the World Trade Center. It was 8 million square feet. 8 million square feet is the size of some cities. And we had 8 million square feet in the world, 4 million in each building. They were huge buildings. Not only huge. Size, but, you know, each, each floor was 50,000 feet. They were monstrous floors. Each floor was almost a, a city in itself. And they had 110 floors or so. So, um... You know, many firms... I had... I don't think I'd ever seen this angle of of all the dust and debris, because this is probably a live shot from their helicopter hours after the attack. That's insane. The dust plume and the smoke coming off of the island. Wow. Firms that were easily recognizable for those of us in the financial world, for those of us that read the papers and... See the financial page. You don't read. They're just not going to exist anymore. They're gone. Donald and Trump. Many of the people are gone with them. Donald Trump, thank you so very much for joining well, us. Thank we you we all really appreciate it. Thank you. And Same you to you. You too. I made mention of it during that interview. Of what else did Donald see on 9/11? Because he's made reference to a conspiracy theory that trended yet again today on Twitter. The dancing Israelis. In the wake of the biggest terror attack in U.S. history, five young Israeli men were arrested and sparked conspiracy theories for decades. 
Then September 11th, 2001, a tidal wave of conspiracy theories uh, has surrounded the events of that day that changed the course of American history. The attacks, which saw 3,000 New Yorkers lose their lives and countless more injured years later, have been the subject of fierce speculation from conspiracy-minded people all over the world. While not all conspiracy theories about what happened on 9-11 are anti-Semitic, there's a pervasive strain of anti-Semitic thought through some of the most popular ones. According to those who reject the official version of events, five Israeli men were seen dancing in the streets of New York in the wake of the attacks. They were arrested and later released without charge. When police arrested them, they were found with cash, multiple passports, and box cutters. According to some sources, including a bizarre 2003 Scottish Herald article, the implication is that these five young men from Israel knew about the attacks beforehand and were shadowing the Al-Qaeda terrorists, supporting the attack from afar in an attempt to draw America closer to Israel politically. While there is no evidence for any of these claims, the root of this story has some truth. Five Israelis were indeed arrested in the wake of the attacks. They did have box cutters on them, but they were in the U.S. working for a fellow Israeli delivery company called Urban Moving Systems in a job where box cutters are frequently used to cut open boxes. The Israeli men were first reported by a New Jersey housewife who saw the group of five standing on a van near the Doric Towers apartment building in Union City, New Jersey, on a cliffside overlooking the Manhattan skyline and the Twin Towers. When she called to report the men, she said, all of the, mayor, uh, all of the males appeared to be jovial in that they smiled, hugged one another, and gave high fives. Is there what is there a pic of this? Watching oh, the Twin Towers burning from her apartment in New Jersey, she noticed three men on top of a van posing for pictures with the towers burning in the background. And I could see that they were like happy. You know, they 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 were they didn't look shocked to me. You know, they didn't look shocked. I thought it was very strange. The witness called police. First of all, mind your own fucking business. Please who stopped the van hours later and arrested five men. All five, it turns out, were Israeli. They were turned over to the FBI. Sources tell ABC News during a check of national security databases, some of the men were listed as having had connections with Israeli intelligence. At the FBI, that set off alarm bells. The FBI needed the answers to three important questions. Who were these men? What brought them to that parking lot on the morning of September 11th? And did they have any advanced knowledge of what was going to happen that day? The men said they were just taking pictures at the time. They said they worked for a company called Urban Moving. The FBI obtained a search warrant for the company's offices. Two SUVs were filled up with between 9 and 12. Yes, Simp makes a very good point. Uh, Israeli men are required to do military service. And... Working a radar or something could be considered intelligence. Not necessarily that they are spies. Boxes and computers. Not long after the arrests, the offices of Urban Moving were simply abandoned. Almost. Oh, are women required as well? I, they're allowed, but I don't think they're required, are they? 
everything was left behind. I'm not sure on that. I may be wrong. ...interrogated and given lie detector tests. Stephen Gordon was their American lawyer. They were asked questions if they had ever been approached by or hired by any non-United States intelligence community. While there is still some debate among American intelligence officials, many investigators believe some... So there's the clip of the woman who reported the dancing Israelis. A year after the attack, she told ABC News they seemed to be uh, taking a movie. They were like happy, you know. The dancing Israeli moniker came from an altogether different source, the father of 9-11 hijacker Mohammed Atta. In a USA Today article from a few weeks after the attacks, quoting Muslim officials from around the world who were alleging that Israel was behind the plot, makes sense. Atta's grieving father said that there was insufficient attention being paid to the fact that the FBI seized a number of Jews <laughs> while, they, while they were dancing in celebration over the incidents. The men were arrested later that day when the van was spotted driving near the New York Giants NFL Stadium. FBI agents stopped the men's van and pulled them out. Sivan Kurtzberg, the driver, reportedly said at the time, We are Israeli. We are not your problem. Your problems are our problems. The Palestinians are the problem. Holy shit! So much racism and profiling going on. Yes, uh... The idea that Israel and Saudi Arabia worked together uh, to commit 9-11 is kind of uh, at odds with, uh, like, facts. <laughs> so, what were the men doing that day? News website The Gray Zone, not a reliable source, spoke to one of the Israeli men involved who recounted that fateful day. The man, who the publication did not name, said that they were at work when news of the attacks first broke, and when they realized that work was canceled, drove to Union City to get a better view of what was happening. Then, when attempting to return to their shared apartment in Brooklyn, ended up caught in a police blockade where they were arrested. The Israeli men were eventually processed in a federal detention center in Manhattan. While arrested, U.S. immigration officials discovered they were overstaying their visas, and after weeks of interrogation, Sivan Kurtzberg, Paul Kurtzberg, Omar Gavril, uh, Mar Mari, Omar Gavriel uh, Mori, uh, Yaron Schimmel, and Oded Elner all signed documents admitting violations of U.S. immigration law and returned to Israel. One of the men, Yaron Shimol, vented his frustration at the incident to Israeli newspaper uh, Ma'aviv, saying they pulled guns on us, threw us to the ground like terrorists, and citizens that were in the area yelled, shoot them in the head. I believe that. So much racism and profiling everywhere. <laughs> One of the, okay, as the New York Times reported at the time, the five men were caught in the wide net thrown by American law enforcement officials, eager to be seen taking action after the actions of 9-11. A report by the FBI cleared their names later that month. A field report published a few weeks later stated that both the Newark and the New York divisions conducted a thorough investigation, which determined that none of the Israelis had any information on prior knowledge Regarding the bombing of the World Trade Center. Yes, I should stop reading that. <laughs> I really should. If I can't get it right, I probably shouldn't even attempt it, should I? 
think I showed this the other day. What's crazy is that Rudy Giuliani first rose to fame because of 9-11. Teen, born in 2006. Oh, like he helped do it? Okay, no, but I see how you got there. That cracked me the fuck up. To someone who wasn't alive, wasn't cognizant back in 2000, 2001, describing to them how admired Rudy Giuliani was in the aftermath of 9-11 would probably freak them the fuck out. Oh, Rudy. He's been the butt of the joke here on this show for its entire existence. Do you think we're stupid? You think we're fools? Giuliani is incredibly unpopular. Did you guys know that? Apparently, the dude is absolutely toxic. So toxic that it stunned a CNN reporter. Stunned a CNN reporter looking at polling data about Rudy. Apparently, this this is, this has never happened before. What he's seen. And last night, Rudy Giuliani filed a new legal challenge to the criminal charges he's facing in Georgia. And you have some data on what Americans think of Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, I specifically asked our pollsters to put this question on the poll hmm. because I was interested in how low wow. Rudy Giuliani's favorite really rating was. Look at this. Oh my goodness. A drop of 60 points over the... How in the fuck is 16% of people still like the motherfucker? How? How does that happen? Last 21 years. My goodness. I've never seen wow. anything like this. I remember when Rudy was a hero in the city of New York. And look Absolutely. at what he is now. He is, for most Americans, just a disgrace, at least according to the polling data. According to the polling data? According to fucking logic and reason and just, you know, common sense. He's an absolute goddamn joke. <laughs> oh my God. Here's one for you. Here's one for you. This is going to be fun. Did you know Osama bin Laden's niece? Osama bin Laden's niece is a social media influencer and she's also a Trump supporter. The 16% doesn't know who he is. That's ex they don't know who he is. That's that's right. Hit the nail on the head, Joey. Also, good evening. Welcome back. Last week I spoke with Noor bin Laden, the niece of Osama bin Laden. And bear with me here for a second. Who completely denounces every evil thing her uncle stood for. It was a very fascinating interview, and I look forward to having her back on the show. Take a look at this. When Joe Biden arrived in Geneva last week ahead of his meeting with Russian President... This is from two years ago. Many people were actually protesting his arrival, including the niece on, man. of Osama bin Laden. Now, bear with me here. That right there is Noor bin Laden, who was part of a pro-Trump boat flotilla on Lake Geneva. Can you believe that? 
You might be shocked to hear this, but Noor bin Laden is a strong supporter of former President Trump and calls herself an American at heart. Now, Noor has never met her uncle Osama, who is... Wait, that's not Laura Loomer? Her father, Osama's brother, married a Swiss woman many years ago. They split up when Noor was just eight months old and Noor remained with her mother. Noor bin Laden has denounced the 9-11 attacks and just last year publicly announced her support for Donald Trump in a letter entitled, My Letter to America. Oh yeah, the bin Ladens were loaded. Joins us tonight to talk about all of this. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's good to talk to you. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, obviously this is a, this is a very surreal interview to have. Uh, you call yourself a patriot at heart, and I just want to ask, how did you come to support Donald Trump, even though- Look at the shit behind her! Like, she's got a whole- You've seen the Charlie meme from Sonny and Phil, where he's like, uh, Pepe Silvia. There's no Pepe Silvia, and Pepe is the key to all this. <laughs> and like Max, like no, Pepe Silvia is, is real, and all these people are wondering where their mail is. She's got like a whole conspiracy thing going on. Oh, you live in Switzerland. I think first and foremost, I am a great supporter of America, um, and I have been since a very early age. Because while Switzerland is my home. Uh, in my home country, I've been traveling to America multiple times a year since the age of three years old. So America is really like my second home. Um, and another reason why I love America so much is because- He looks a lot like him. Situation, uh, I came to appreciate and value freedom greatly again from early on in my childhood. Or is that racist to me? Realization of how different my life had a, would have been had I been raised you know, in Saudi Arabia, in a society like Saudi Arabia, as opposed to to the West, and to me, um, watching events on maybe, maybe it's racist to me to say it. Few years, especially, um, it was um, important for me to use whatever platform I had to come out in support of President Trump ahead of the uh, of the 2020 election. And while I'd been right. supporting supporting him from afar since he first announced he was running in 2015, um, I felt incredibly strongly that now was the time uh, to, to speak up and uh, join the millions of patriots uh, who um, want to fight for, for America. I, I can understand, you know, your fascination with the United States freedom. I, I can understand your respect for it growing up in Switzerland versus Saudi Arabia, uh, you can certainly understand how much better of a life you've been able to have, and I do understand all that. What is it about Republican American politics versus Democrat American politics, though? Because if we had found out like she was... Um... ...for freedom and a lot of the things that you love about America. It boils down to the love... Like trying to pull like a fake elector scheme. She's like trying to harass poll workers or something. That'd be hilarious. ...what the founding fathers were able to accomplish. Um, namely securing the fund. now now pp girl every every right winger will when you mention switzerland or, or uh sweden they're gonna tell you those are market economies they'll be like all right cool well let's do something and i'll start naming policies you know high taxation blah, especially with guns sweden has some insane gun laws because in sweden like they issue you a rifle but there's some insane because like it, what, what, Sweden there's like mandatory military service so that's why you get issued a rifle 
But there's like restrictions on like the amount of ammo you can buy. You are required to keep it in a safe. You're required to take like training courses and shit like so they bring up fucking Sweden, it's high ownership of guns and why there's no violence. I'm like, all right, well, let's apply the laws. And they'll be like, no, 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 that's communist. The same thing with like with their fucking uh, uh, economic policy as well. No, no, it's communist. Dustin, good evening. Nations of the greatest country in the history of the world. And it's incredibly heartbreaking to me to see a ruling class that is so anti-American that hates America. Yeah, but that's really what happened. Power to indoctrinate the entire population into becoming anti-American like them. And this is that makes perfect sense. You saying that? Like, that's what he did, wasn't it? That's where all his connections to Ukraine and shit come from. Holy shit! You is is there actual like connections, or, or are you just speculating? Like, is there a story I can read on this? Because I would absolutely believe that. But she's talking about, like, the ruling class having a disdain for America while she's supporting fucking Trump. This is precisely the reason why I am. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's America first. Wow. That's very well said. Um, you know, you, you say in your letters you, you've never met Osama bin Laden. Never had any contact with him. I, I can't imagine. Well, you ain't going to. Speak up with your last name. How, how complicated does your name make things? Listen, it's the name with which I was born. It's the name on my passport. Um, and it's just a question of... Uh, of um, you can change it if you want to. I've been a victim. I've never had that mentality. And um, even when the tragedy of 9-11 happened, I was 14 years old. And it was never a question about changing my name or hiding my identity. It is what it is. This is the name that I carry. And it's up, uh, it's up to me. I realize that it's somewhat my responsibility to properly state what my... Oh, wait a minute. Her family is fucking loaded. And uh, they so happen to be completely... Osama was considered the black sheep. And so I choose to state that and... Um, I choose to, yes, use this name, which is I knew would be an immediate platform in order to um, to stand up. For I don't know, Joey. You put a Trump hat on him. What is just and my beliefs. In, this in is the freedom. This is the freedom that I have. Sure. And uh, I'm intent on using it. Understood. Uh, in a recent letter titled A New War on Terror, you wrote Osama bin Laden got his wish. But what he and all of America's other foes fail to understand is that despite all their attempts to destroy her, America will prevail. Whether foreign or domestic, her enemies don't stand a chance in the face of American patriotism and courage. Love of freedom, God and country is more powerful. Just to be clear, what Osama bin Laden wanted was for America to extend itself into a bunch of fucking forever wars. And that's what we did. <laughs> that's what he, he was goading us into doing exactly that. The he stated, I, "God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck it up." But the boots of infidels have trampled the Holy Land, some base that we put in Saudi Arabia. He was upset about that, but the, he literally wanted to goad us into extending ourselves too far into the Middle East, into guerrilla wars that they knew we couldn't win because of our involvement in the Middle East. That's exactly right. Like, family is so fucking rich. The gravity is different. 
I, I, at this point in time, I don't, I don't think the, the right is too opposed to Nazis. They sure say they are, but I don't think they are. Now I mentioned we were going to cover a couple of different 9-11s, three different 9-11s, three different 9-11s. There, there are more. There are a ton of fucking shit, a ton of things that happened on 9-11. Let's, let's cover them, shall we? Get like the Wikipedia on this. Everything that happened on September 11th. Yes, yes, I know the September 11th uh, attacks. Just do a little quick history here on Wikipedia. Man, Chile, Santiago, Chile was attacked by indigenous warriors in 1541. 9-11, not a good day for Chile. Ottoman forces retreated from Malta in 1565. The Sugarloaf Massacre in 1780. Hell yeah, Simp hit me with that... uh, uh, article. Yes, that makes that makes perfect fucking sense. The Battle of Delhi uh, during the Second Anglo-Maratha War. In 1812, in the War of 1812, British troops arrive in Mount Vernon and prepare to march and invade Washington, D.C. It's also the climax of the Battle of, P- of Plattsburgh. The first race at the Milwaukee Mile in Wisconsin was held on September 11th. Australia invaded a German New Guinea during World War I on September 11th. In 1919, the U.S. Marine Corps invaded Honduras on 9-11. Construction began on the Pentagon on September 11th, 1941. What a quinky dink. Hurricane Carla strikes Texas in 1961. 1973, a coup in Chile headed by General Augusto Pinochet topples the democratically elected President Salvador Allende. Allende. A coup backed by the CIA. JAT Airways Flight 769. Nice. Crashes into the Maganic Mountain Range. Kills 35 passengers. September 11th, 1973. Bad day to be flying. Delay had two 9-11s. 9-11 has numerous plane crashes, apparently. Eastern Airlines Flight uh, 212 crashes in Charlotte, North Carolina, killing 69 passengers and two crew. Noise. Happened on September 11th, 1974. 
A bomb planted by a Croatian terrorist is found in New York's Grand Central Terminal. Terminal. One NYPD officer is killed trying to defuse it. September 11th, 1976. That's cool. September 11th, 1980. A new constitution of Chile is established under the influence of the Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet. Nineteen eighty nine, Hungary announces the East German refugees who had been housed in temporary camps were free to leave West Germany. Well that's cool of them. Wall was getting ready to fall in the next couple of years. Nineteen ninety, a faucet Boeing seven twenty seven disappears in the Atlantic Ocean. September eleventh, nineteen ninety one, Continental Express Flight two twenty five seventy four crashes in Colorado County. I'm probably not going to be flying anytime soon, but I'm definitely never going to fly on 9-11 because fuck that. <laughs> Holy shit. The Kirk's tragedy. 14 Estonian soldiers of the Baltic Battalion are downed or die of hypothermia during a training exercise on September 11th, 1997. Scotland votes to establish a devolved parliament within the United Kingdom in 1997. Russia in 2007 tests the largest conventional weapon ever, the father of all bombs. September 11th, 2007. September 11th, 2012. U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya is attacked resulting in four deaths. Have you guys heard about Benghazi? The right-wing media went nuts over, what was it, four four soldiers, four American uh, uh, soldiers killed in Benghazi. So much so that they hauled Hillary Clinton in front of Congress to make her testify. And she had this exchange... With Rand Paul. Thank you for appearing, Secretary Clinton, and I'm glad to see your health is improving. One of the things that disappointed me most about the original 9-11 was no one was fired. We spent trillions of dollars, but there were a lot of human errors. These are judgment errors, and the people who... I can agree with that. ...need to be replaced, fired, and no longer in a position of making these judgment calls. So we have a review board. Review board finds 64 different things that we can change. A lot of them are common sense and should be done, but the question is, it's a failure of leadership that they weren't done in advance and four lives were cost because of this. I'm glad that you're accepting responsibility. I think that ultimately with your leaving, you accept the culpability for the worst tragedy since 9-11. And I really mean that. Had I been president at the time, and I found that you did not read the cables from Benghazi. You did not read. Benghazi was the worst tragedy since 9-11. How many school shootings had happened? I'm almost certain that this hearing is occurring after Sandy Hook. So fuck you, Rand Paul read the cables from Ambassador Stevens, I would have relieved you of your post. I think it's inexcusable. The thing is, is that, you know, we can understand that you're not reading every cable. I can understand that maybe you're not aware of the cable from the ambassador in Vienna that asked for $100,000 for an electrical charging station. It has for nine hours. Maybe you're not was aware it 11? the department spent $100,000 on three comedians. 
who went to now I saw somebody say that Nor bin Laden bin Laden's niece that we just uh, watched that she was a uh, she was a nine out of eleven India on a promotional tour called Make Chi Not War. But I think you might be able to be understand and might be aware of the 80 million spent on a consulate in Mashar al-Sharif that will never be built. I think it's inexcusable that you did not know about this and that you did not read these cables. I would think by anybody's estimation, <clears throat> Libya has to have been one of the hottest of hot spots around the world. Not to know of the request for securities really, I think, cost these people their lives. Their lives could have been saved had someone been more available, had someone been aware of these things, more on top of the job. And the thing is, is I don't suspect you of bad motives. The review board said, well, these people weren't willfully neg negligent. I don't think you were willfully. I don't suspect your motives of wanting to serve your country, but it was a failure of leadership not to be involved. It was a failure of leadership not to know these things. And so I think it is good that you're accepting responsibility because no one else is. And this is, there is a certain amount of culpability to the worst tragedy since 9-11, and I'm glad you're accepting this. Now my question is, is the U.S. involved with any uh, procuring of weapons, transfer of weapons, buying, selling, anyhow transferring weapons to Turkey out of Libya? To Turkey? I, I will have to take that question for the record. I, nobody's ever raised that with me. I, it's, I been don't. In, it's been in news reports that ships have been leaving from Libya and that they may have weapons. And what I'd like to know is the annex that was close by, were they involved with procuring, buying, selling, obtaining weapons? And were any of these weapons being transferred to other countries, any countries, Turkey included? Well, Senator, you'll have to direct, direct that question to uh, the agency that uh, ran the annex. And I will, I will see what information is available. And uh, You're saying you don't know. I do not know. I don't have any Absolutely, Joey. They you gave know, away the game. To personnel, Senator, you know, first, <clears throat> that's why we have um, independent people who uh, review uh, the situation as we did with uh, the Pickering and Mullen uh, ARB. And all four individuals identified uh, in the ARB have been removed from their job. Secondly, They've been placed on administrative leave while we step through the personnel process to determine the next steps. Uh, third, both Ambassador Pickering and Admiral Mullen specifically highlighted the reason why this is complicated because under federal statute and regulations, unsatisfactory leadership is not grounds for finding a breach of duty. Uh, the ARB did not find these four individuals breached their duty. So I have submitted legislation to this committee, to the Congress, uh, to fix this problem so future ARBs will not face but, but, the situation. But, but, but here's the problem. The review board has all these recommendations, but there's one thing they failed to address, and I think you failed to address, and it sets us up for another tragedy like this. They should have never been sent in there without a military guard. This should have been an embassy like in Baghdad in a war zone, and it should have been under military guard, significant military guard, Defense Department command. I don't think the State Department's capable of being in the war zone and protecting these people. I still don't think that. I think another tragedy could happen. I think another tragedy could happen in another war zone around the world. I think someone needs to make an executive decision. Someone needs to. How much of a tragedy is it when you've got personnel in a war zone? It's kind of part of the job. Marines are to guard records, not people. You shouldn't send them in with the same kind of ambassador or embassy staff that you have in Paris. I think that's inexcusable. Well, Senator, the reason I'm here today is to answer questions the best I can. Um, 
I am the uh, Secretary of State, uh, and uh, the ARB made very clear uh, that the level of responsibility for the uh, failures that they outlined was set at the Assistant Secretary level and below. Um, the administration has sent officials to the Hill more than 30 times. We've given uh, as much information. We've been as transparent as we can. Um, obviously, we will continue to uh, brief you uh, and others uh, to answer any and all questions that you have uh, about uh, going forward. Um, the reason we put into effect an accountability review board is to take it out of the heat of politics and partisanship and accusations and to put it in the hands of people who have no stake in the outcome. The reason I said make it open, tell the world is because I believe in transparency, I believe in taking responsibility, uh, and I have done so. And I hope that we're going to be able to uh, see a good working relationship uh, between the State Department and the committee going forward. She was fantastic in that testimony. That is where she did her best work um, when she was in the Senate in like committee hearings and shit. Same thing with Harris. Kamala Harris was fantastic grilling people in committee hearings. She's just not likable, though. But that, that was like, you know, some of like Hillary's best work. Doing that, doing that uh, hearing backfired on them. I don't remember all the details, but like... It's an embassy in a war zone that we destabilized. Remember the assassination of Gaddafi? The Behind the Bastards on Gaddafi? Fucking fascinating. Go listen to that shit. That's another... That's a, I bring up uh, my fear with Zelensky about a, a, uh, a leader coming uh, to power with a popular uprising and then turning into a shithead. Gaddafi was kind of a shithead, but also... Gaddafi was pretty good to poor people. Like, he's a real weird dichotomy. So if you look at, like, education rates in Libya and access to fucking water and shit, like, he did a lot of shit for poor people in Libya. Probably why the U.S. hated him. But he's also a little, he was a little nuts as well. He's very, he was very eccentric. Let's put it that way. kind of Trumpy. <laughs> he was kind of Trumpy, to be honest with you. But I, the reason, I, the real reason I wanted to bring up Libya uh, is because 9-11, not a good day for Libya. I, I really don't think they give a shit about Benghazi, especially in the, in the, um, the knowledge of what has happened today in Libya. 2,000 people feared dead following flooding. In the day's other headlines, catastrophic flooding from a powerful storm has hit eastern Libya. The Red Cross reports at least 150 people have been killed, and one of the country's rival prime ministers says up to 2,000 may be dead. Images from the city of Derna today showed widespread devastation with floods and mudslides sweeping away entire neighborhoods. Officials said 5,000 people may be missing. 
the same storm flooded parts of Greece. Now, I said that might be. Gaddafi was the Ju the Giuliani of Libya, possibly. Marked 20 I don't... Years since the... Gaddafi was popular with his people, though. He was a popular leader. He wasn't popular with the U.S. Attacks of September 11th. For many Americans, it was a day for solemn ceremonies and sometimes tearful remembrances. Laura Barone-Lopez... Wait, what? No, I already did 9-11. This was supposed to be about Libyan flight. <coughs> God damn it, PBS. They do this to me all the time. I'll get because like the headline, 2000 fear dead falling flooding in Libya. I thought it was a six minute report on the flooding in Libya. That's what I wanted to hear about, PBS. We already did 9-11. I mean, the US is 9-11. The 9-11 that was done to the U.S., not the 9-11 the U.S. did to other countries. <laughs> oh, God damn. It's hard, hard to keep all your 9-11s uh, in order. Uh, Chile's president defends democracy 50 years after the coup that ushered in a brutal military dictatorship. President of Chile issued a fervent defense of democracy on Monday, the 50th, 50th anniversary of the coup led by General Augusto Pinochet that ushered in a brutal a military dictatorship for almost two decades. The anniversary of the U.S.-backed coup was a vivid reminder of the continuing divisions over the legacy of Pinochet, who died without ever being convicted uh, for the crimes against humanity committed during his 17-year reign. Kissinger! Yeah, see, that was that goes back to his eccentric, ex, like, he would, like, Saying he was popular is kind of like saying Trump is popular, right? They're like, there are people that support him. But yeah, like he was also a fucking dickhead. That Behind the Bastards episode. Of, and I think it's like a three-parter. Amazing. Go listen to it. I can't recommend it enough. Problems of democracy must be addressed through more democracy. President Gabriel Bork said at the La Moneda presidential palace, which was bombed by warplanes at the start of the coup half a century ago, a coup d'etat, or the violation of the human rights of those who think differently is never justifiable, Boric said in his address to a nation where a significant number of people, according to numerous polls, believe the 1973 coup was justified, and that Pinochet, who died in 2006, was a good leader who helped to modernize the country. Wow. The military regime led by Pinochet violated human rights and brutally persecuted opponents, imprisoning and torturing thousands who were opposed to the regime. It left a toll of 3,200 killed, including 1,469 disappeared. Nice. A half century later, 297 have been convicted of crimes against humanity and 1,300 cases are ongoing. Special Presidential Advisor for the Americas, Christopher J. Ta uh, J. Christopher J. Dodd, was leading the U.S. government delegation to Chile. According to the State Department, the U.S. government backed the 1973 coup, and the Chilean government is pushing Washington to declassify documents that could shed light on the era. How long do we keep shit classified? 
I thought it was 50 years. Are they not already like set to be released? Matthew Miller, a State Department spokesperson, said that the Biden administration has sought to be transparent about the U.S. role in this chapter of Chilean history, noting that it has recently declassified documents from 1973. We pay our deepest respects to the victims of repression that followed. The date in Chile is marked by political polarization between the ruling party and the right-wing opposition due to their disagreements about the roles they played in the coup. Bork described the atmosphere as charged, and former President Michel uh, Bachelet called it toxic. In Congress, lawmakers shouted at each other over the issues. Now here is a cool piece of footage that I have. Well, I, I think it's audio. It is. It's just audio. These are the last words of Allende before the coup and his death. The Air Force has bombed the towers of radio portals and radio corporation. My words are not bitter, but disappointed. May they be a moral condemnation of those who have betrayed their oath. Soldiers of Chile, titular commanders-in-chief. Admiral Marino, who has designated himself. Mr. Mendoza, the despicable general. Who only yesterday pledged fidelity and loyalty to the government and has now appointed himself Director General of the Carabineros. Given the situation, all I can do is let the workers know. I will not resign. I assume the Carabineros, I assume that was one of the Carabineros. I assume that was one of the death squads. Placed at a historic juncture, my loyalty to the people will cost me my life. And to them I say that I am sure that the seed we have planted in the good conscience of thousands and thousands of Chileans cannot be cut down forever. They have the power to overwhelm us. But social movements cannot be stopped by crime. Or by force. History is ours. The people make history. Workers of my country, I want to thank you for the loyalty you've always shown. For the confidence you put in a man who was merely an interpreter of great yearnings for justice. Who gave his word to respect the Constitution and the law and did just that. At this definitive moment, the last time I can address you, 
I hope you will learn this lesson. Foreign capital, imperialism, and their consequences. Created the climate in which the armed forces betrayed tradition. The tradition taught by General Schneider and reaffirmed by Commander Araya, victims of the same social sector, who will be in their homes today hoping, with foreign assistance, to retake power and continue defending their profits and privileges. I speak to, above all, the modest women of our land, or the modest woman of our land, the peasant woman who believed in us, to the working woman who worked harder, to the mother who knew our concern for her children. I speak of the professionals of the nation, the patriotic professionals, those who, days ago, continued working against the sedition sponsored by the professional associations. Class-based associations that also defend the advantages that a capitalist society grants to a few. I speak to the youth, those who sang and gave us their joy and their spirit of struggle. I speak to the man of Chile, the worker, the farmer, the intellectual, to those who will be persecuted because fascism has already been active in our country for many hours. In terrorist attacks, blowing up bridges, cutting railroad lines, destroying the oil and gas pipelines. Mid silence from those who were supposed to defend them. They were committed. History will judge them. Surely, uh, surely Radio Magallanes will be silenced. The calm metal of my voice will no longer reach you. No matter, you will continue to hear it. Or at least my memory will be uh, that of a dignified man, that of a man who was loyal to the workers. The people must defend themselves, but not sacrifice themselves. The people must not be destroyed or riddled with bullets, but they cannot abase themselves either. Workers of my country, I have faith in Chile and its destiny. Other men will overcome this gray and bitter moment in which betrayal seeks to impose itself. Go forward knowing that, much sooner than later, the great avenues through which free men pass will open again. The great avenues through which free men pass will open again to build a better society. Long live Chile, long live the people, long live the workers. These are my final words, and I am certain that my sacrifice will not be in vain. I am certain at least that this will be a moral lesson that will punish felony, cowardice, and treason. Fuck, that was amazing. The final words of Allende before he was killed. Killays. Second 
We're having a hard time with the chronological order here. They're second 9-11. Maybe they're third 9-11. I don't know. 9-11's for everybody. You probably don't want to incorporate 9-11 into your marketing. Unless you're like me, I do a show where I mock shit. So, you know, having the the planes crash... Perhaps there are several of you who weren't in here for the beginning of the show, so uh, I got I got to go back. I got I, I said I reserve the right to play it again. Hold on, hold on. We we won't listen to the whole thing. I won't make you sit through the whole five minutes. We'll we'll skip here. A little bit further. Venus. This is the Troll Patrol. Why? With Justin Freakin. Sorry, I spent a long time. I spent a long time working on that. Really wanted to, wanted to see everybody. Wanted everybody to see the planes crash into my logo. <laughs> so, so if you're me and like you know being edgy and shit is like your brand, totally fucking use 9/11 in your marketing. If you're not me, you probably don't want to use 9-11 in any kind of marketing or commercialization. People probably going to get mad at you. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Clinically missed it. Okay. Oh, the, the whole thing is fucking hilarious to me. Hey, Justin, are you trolling? This might be my favorite part where it says light one up here in just a second. Yeah. I took a screenshot of that. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Donald Trump dancing in front of the towers. That's great. This is the troll patrol. Why? With Justin Freakin. We only get to play it one time a year. You know, PP Girl? Uh, that's not a bad idea. I don't know, I don't know how many people have noticed, but when it does get to 420, it actually flashes green. <laughs> and I'm on and I'm on screen with a bong in the background. One more time. Just cause it's fun. This is the Troll Patrol. Why? With Justin Freakin. So the countdown, the, like, I, I struggle with the whole countdown thing. Like, I kind of thought countdowns were a little pretentious. But also, like, there is shit I can't do until the stream starts. So I kind of need the countdown to, to, like, share things out on social media and shit. 
So, and, and like, uh, it's also good, like, you get a notification, you got five minutes to, to come by. Because, uh, like, I come on at the same time every day, so a countdown isn't really necessary. But it's it's to give me time to fucking share shit out and stuff. If I'm going to make you watch a countdown, I gave you a gazillion fucking Easter eggs. You will notice something new each time you watch that fucking countdown. I assure you. It gives me time to, to get a PP break sometimes. But now, if 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 you're not a, doing a show like me, Purgatorius, good evening. Am I going to have to play the opening again? <laughs> oh, no, no. I, I just played it three times back to back. If you're like me, you can use 9-11 in your marketing. Because, you know, I mock shit. I'm, I'm, I'm a parody show. I'm satire. If I, I would love it if somebody sued me. I do a show with a troll head. But if you're trying to be a legitimate business, you probably don't want to incorporate 9-11 into your advertising. DraftKings apologizes for September 11th themed betting promotion. Sports betting game. We, we get one every year, apparently. Sports betting company DraftKings apologized Monday after using September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks to entice people to bet on baseball and football games on the anniversary of the tragedy. The Boston-based company offered users a 9-11-themed promotion that required three New York-based teams, the Yankees, Mets, and Jets, to win their games on Monday. The 22nd anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center and Pentagon and the downing of a passenger jet in the field in Pennsylvania. After an outcry on social media... It doesn't seem too bad. After an outcry on social media from people offended by the promotion, titled Never Forget, DraftKings took it down and apologized. We sincerely apologize for the featured parlay that was shared briefly in commemoration of 9-11. We respect the significance of this day for our country and especially for the families of those who were directly affected. Brett Eagle, uh, Eagleson, whose father Bruce was killed in the World Trade Center, runs a families and first responders organization. He decried the DraftKings offer as tone deaf. It's shameful to use the national tragedy of 9-11 to promote a business. He told the Associated Press, we need accountability, justice, and closure, not self-interest and shameless promotion. I would usually agree with you, but we live in a fucking capitalist society where... Uh, self-interest and shameless promotion are rewarded. And I wouldn't, like, listen, outrage marketing is a thing. Companies do it because the free publicity that they get from all the news outlets covering it, from shows like mine making fun of them, is immeasurable. The first, the first example that we have of this is the Pepsi commercial with one of the Kardashian girls. I don't even remember. But she walks up and puts a... Like, this is during 2016 or 2015. I think, I think it was before, um, you know, George Floyd and all that. But it's still... We're at the start of BLM. I think this is after um, Mike Brown. Kendall Jenner, yeah. She walks up and puts a, a flower in the gun. Uh, no, that's not... I'm confused. She gives the she gives the cop a Pepsi. That's it. 
<laughs> I'm confusing an iconic uh, uh, painting with, with, with a fucking Pepsi commercial, which that's the that's what they were riffing on was the painting I was referencing. She hands the cop a soda, yeah, and like the cop drinks the Pepsi, and then everybody like hugs and racism ends forever. That's right, yeah. They did that specifically because they wanted the backlash. So they had the apology ready and everything. So that was that was better publicity for them. They knew it would cause an issue. So they get the news cycle talking about it for a couple of days. They get another news cycle when they apologize. Outrage marketing. I wouldn't doubt that DraftKings was trying to actually do that. Now, when it comes to this commercial, I'm not exactly sure if they were intending to offend people, but apparently they did. What better way to remember 9-11 than with a twin tower sale? Right now, you can get any size mattress for a twin price. Full mattress. Twin price. Queen mattress. Twin price. King mattress. Twin price. Store wide sale all day long. Oh my God. We'll never forget. And no one will ever forget that spot. I gotta give them props. Like, that's witty. And she knocks the two dudes into the mattresses or pillows. I don't know. Yeah, they're mattresses. Twin tower sale. Right now, you can get any size mattress for a twin price. Full mattress. Twin price. Queen mattress. Twin price. King mattress. Twin price. Store wide sale all day long. Whoa! <laughs> We'll never forget. That would be exactly the kind of ad I would come up with. Yes. Yep. That's the, that's, that's, uh, looks like something I would have wrote. All right, let's bring it on home. Uh, I'm going to hit the content warning on this one because it, it might tug at your heartstrings. That kind of deal. But this is your your animal story for the night, and it's 9-11 related. On September 11th, 2001, Michael Hinkson and his guide dog, Rizel, were on the 78th floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. He ran the Quantum Mid-Atlantic office, managing sales and operations. His windowed office space overlooked the southwest corners of New York City. Rizel, a Labrador retriever, was his trusted companion, there to guide him each day. At the time, the pair had been a team for less than two years. Michael was born premature in 1950. He was blind and his condition was irreversible. So every day while Michael worked, Roselle was perched comfortably underneath his desk, usually napping, but always ready for his direction. But that fateful morning, right at 8.46 a.m., a loud boom shook the building. When the aircraft hit the building, the building literally tipped. We were on the 78th floor, so they're very flexible, so literally it tipped like a spring would. A 
A Boeing 767 American Airlines Flight 11 had struck the North Tower, cutting through floors 93 through 99 at a speed of 500 miles per hour. It was an instant inferno. My colleague in the office, David Frank, started shouting, oh my God, there's fire and smoke above us. We got to get out of here right now. And I kept saying, David, slow down. Because next to me was my guide dog, Roselle. Roselle woke up, looked around. It was clear to Michael that she did not sense any immediate danger. What I observed was her reactions. She was sitting, wagging her tail and yawning and going, who woke me up? That told me that we could try to evacuate in an orderly way and panicking wasn't going to help. So Michael and his colleague walked their guests to the staircase, came back and swept the office for any stragglers, began making their way down the grueling 1,463 steps to safety. Most everyone who made it out was because they were below where the plane hit. And so, yeah, our people had a, a good start because they were out of the office and starting down the stairs by probably about, um, what, 848. Michael first met Roselle in 1999. She was his fifth guide dog. Though blind from birth, he says he never felt handicapped. He'd spent most of his life on the West Coast, but in 1996, he moved from Palmdale, California to Westfield, New Jersey, later getting a sales management job in the World Trade Center. With any new building he worked in, he made sure to become familiar with the environment, memorizing emergency exits, fire safety routes, and so on. When you go in somewhere and you deal with anything that you deal with, you do it from a standpoint of eyesight. So when you're in a building, if there's a need to evacuate, you look at the signs. Well, I know that that doesn't work for me. Signs and I don't get along very well. I literally would walk the halls and walk on the first floor between the buildings and inside and learn where all the kiosks were and all the shops were in the shopping mall, learn where all the elevators were. And I did that because it was as likely if there were an emergency that I would be the only person in our office. That all put me in a mindset that if something happened, I'm gonna know what to do. And of course, that's what really happened on September 11th. Up in stairwell B that day, this very mindset helped him stay calm. His blindness, Michael says, was not a limitation. The airplane hit 18 floors above me on the other side of the building. What was there to see? On the stairs, no one knew what was going on. As a seasoned salesman at that point in his career, Michael had traveled hundreds of thousands of miles by plane. In the staircase that morning, he recalls the distinct smell of jet fuel, says that he remembers the air tasting like a shot of kerosene. As people filed into the stairway, it was a mostly quiet scene. They all kept to the right. There was no pushing. There was no shoving. And though they still had no idea what exactly was happening, they knew their best chance at survival was to move forward one step at a time. Michael says he tried to remain calm, maintained a strong grip on Roselle's harness. The dog does best when I give good, solid commands and sound confident. All the way down the stairs, the fact that I kept just telling Roselle, what a good dog, you're doing a great job, helped a lot of other people because um, they saw me just focusing and going down the stairs and being in charge of my situation. At about the 50th floor... Best dog. That dog's a hero. Anxious, ...doubting whether or not they'd be able to make it out. I just said, stop it, David. If Roselle and I could go down these stairs, so can you. From that point on, David walked one floor ahead, sharing what he saw with the rest of the group as they made their way down. 
By him doing that, he gave anyone within the sound of his voice something to focus on, to keep them from panicking. And I know that by him shouting up all the time, hey, Mike, 26th floor, somebody just opened up a water vending machine. We're going to be passing up water bottles. Whether they were below him or above him, they heard him and they heard him sounding calm. That had to help lots of people on the stairs. Michael continued his descent with the group of people from the top of the tower, getting closer to safety one flight of stairs at a time. Though tired, thirsty, and still in disbelief of what had happened less than 30 minutes prior, Michael, Rizel, his colleague, and their five guests all made it out of the North Tower alive. When they got down to the lobby, both were met by a nearby NYPD officer who warned the pair of the building's imminent collapse, instructing them to run for cover. As they ran, Rizel guided Michael through the dust-filled streets of Lower Manhattan, eventually ushering him to safety inside a subway station. She did exactly what she was supposed to do, that she stopped at the top of a flight of stairs that took us down into the Fulton Street subway station. He never let go of her leash. She never wavered from her job. Her job is to make sure that we walk safe. Beautiful My baby, too. Absolutely is to know where to go and how to get there. When the pair finally got home to New Jersey, it took some time to process what had happened that September morning. But when Rizelle's harness came off, she was a normal dog, just like that. We got home that night, and the first thing I did is I took her harness off. I was going to take her outside, but she was off like a shot to find her favorite tug bone and my retired guy dog, Linny, and they started playing tug of war. She was done with her job. Dogs like that. They like to know what's expected of them. To this day, Michael says that Roselle was one of the most easygoing dogs that he had ever known. She loved sleeping, walking, and her Nyla Bone toy. She played when she could and worked when she had to, and she always took her job seriously. Roselle lived until the age of 14. She died in the summer of 2011, 10 years ago. She contracted a disease called immune-mediated thrombocytopenia, or IMT for short. Obviously on September 11th, there were toxins, and we think that that might have been the genesis. She lived a good life. Today, Michael is working with his eighth guide dog, a black lab named Alamo. He lives in Southern California with his wife, and until 2008, he worked for Guide Dogs for the Blind, the same organization where he'd met his trusted companion all those years ago. He's a public speaker now, a best-selling author, and works for Accessibility, a product that makes websites more accessible for blind people. He is their chief vision officer. Now, he lives his life trying to help others see his mantra. Blind people can accomplish incredible... There's a weird edit there that freaked me out. Chance. Looking back, Michael says he's grateful for his four-legged guide dog, the one who kept him and others calm while guiding her human down 78 grueling flights of stairs. 20 years after that dreadful day, he reflects on 9-11 with a somber spirit and a grateful heart. I wasn't blinded by fear, and I use that term very deliberately because most people, when something unexpected happens to them or they um, have an, an unexpected life change event that occurs, they're afraid and they don't know what to do. They freeze. They're, they're blinded by fear. The reality is, I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't be unafraid. What I'm telling you is that you should learn to control your fears and use your fears to help you make better decisions rather than just letting them overwhelm you.
Go ahead, light one up, tip one back. It's all right to have a little fun before you hit the sack. I'm Justin Freegan. We'll see you tomorrow night. <laughs>